Today on My Kid Wants to Be a Pro Gamer, we're talking with two guys that started up a company called XY Gaming. XY Gaming built a web-based platform where people can go online to play video games for money. They started out as pro gamers, but really they just started out playing video games like a lot of kids, but it turned into a career. But they've also stayed very technically oriented and they've used that to parlay their gaming experience into a sports entity that may be the next big thing in online esports. But real quick before we start, I want to say this is a Max Dimensio production. And if you want to watch Max play and chat with him, you can do that by going to twitch.tv. Twitch.tv slash Max Dimensio. That's Max, M-A-X, and then Dimension without the N, no space. Welcome to My Kid Wants to Be a Pro Gamer. Today we're talking with Aaron Fletcher and Scott Bednarski. My dad would say a good Irish name. Yeah, it's Polish. <laughs> I know. That's why my dad would say good Irish name, because obviously it's not. Great to have you guys with us. I'd like to break it up into two segments, where the first segment would be us talking about you guys having been pro gamers. You're in a really good position to talk about what it really takes to be a pro gamer and what it means to be a pro gamer. And I would like the second segment, if it's all right with you guys, to talk about the business that you guys have been working on that you're developing. What got you into gaming? How long you were pro gamers? And what were the challenges that you faced along the way? All right, Scotty, you're up. Yeah, um, the way I got into gaming was probably back in 1998. I went to a birthday party and there was these three computers at a laser tag facility. And they had this game that just came out called Half-Life. We played those three computers for like half an hour or whatever. We said, we're going to come back, we're going to play. We came back, we played for three hours. I was just hooked straight just there. Just mm. there. And uh, we did the usual thing. We asked our parents that we needed a computer for homework. Um, and they gave us one. <laughs> and my brother um, pretty much used that to play Half-Life. Um, and from there, any game that we found, friends that were playing other games, we, we downloaded them. I started to get really competitive with Half-Life and uh, I always saw these players and these servers that were just doing so well. And they had these tags at the front of their names. So they had like clan tags. And I always aspired to have those clan names and they're my name. So whenever I saw these good players, I follow them. I make sure I'm always in the same server as them. I wanted them to know who I was every time I joined a server because I wanted them to notice me that way. And that's pretty much how you got noticed back then in 1999 or, you know, the year 2000. The Counter-Strike came out and, you know, started getting really competitive with that. There was local tournaments. And then, yeah, it just all sprang from there. I think in about 2003, I went to my first interstate competition. We came third in Australia. And then I started to aspire to be the number one team in Australia, went to become the number one team in Australia. Ended up qualifying to represent Australia at numerous international events. And then in 2007, a tournament came to Australia that uh, was qualified for this little TV show in Malaysia. We qualified for it, went to Malaysia. We found out that DirecTV 101, which was an American network company, wanted to pick up a Counter-Strike International Global League. 
and they want to have franchises from every country around the world with several franchises in America and play on live television on ESPN, Star Network. And yeah, we became one of the top teams in the world back then. And, and what, we, what year was on. that? That was about 2007, 2008. So okay. all the players were full-time salaries. We had your player managers, you had your coaches, you had all that sort of stuff. But yeah, we played on a studio network at Sony Studios. It was on television and all that type of stuff. So it was fantastic. And then I moved on to everything there was to be in gaming. I became a coach, I became a manager, became a community I became a organization manager, I created one of the biggest organizations in Australia, sent about 30 players interstate and about 10 players overseas numerous times. So I've been on all aspects of the gaming world. And how old were you when you first got your first gaming computer? You asked your parents for us to, for homework. I think 12 or 13 years old, and I'm now 33 years old now. Wow. So you were 12 or 13. You started to play. You got pretty competitive, and you joined your first team at what age? I joined my first team when I was about 13, 14. So it was literally within the first year. Um, like I said, I saw those clan tags, and I just wanted to be a part of a group. I wanted okay. to be... I wanted to be joining servers with like two or three of them, and I wanted everybody to notice who we were. It's it's funny that I look back then and look at what gaming is now. Back then, you looked at being the top player in a server, just an online server in your in your own region, and then you want to be the top player in your state, and then you want to be the top player in your country, and then you want to be the top player internationally. And there's just so many levels to gaming that i didn't know back then like i said all i wanted to be was the top player of that server mm -hmm. that's where i strive to that's where the competitiveness came from and eventually you got to be ranked internationally i'm guessing yeah so we became top four in the world so in 2007 we came i think seventh in the world and in 2008 we came fourth and we were actually invited to the world individual finals where we competed and lost against the best team in the world then and then you were yeah, what we, we 22 were you would have been I, I in think 2007. It was about 22, 23, something about that, yeah. I have a pretty different kind of story of how I kind of got into it is a little bit different but I've been in gaming now since I was uh, I think I was four when I first got my first computer and then I was six when I built my first computer and I remember like and this was like 1991 or something like that and the first game I ever played was like Microsoft Simulator or something it was absolutely horrible to look at but it was amazing to see a video game I was like wow wait a minute but let I'll me back up for a minute you said you built your first computer when you were six yeah, six. My uncle helped me uh, build it when I was like six, and then was fine building my own computers. That's like awesome. Eight or nine, because it's it's like it's like a Lego or Tetris. So I've been yep. building computers and been in that thing for like a very long time. But it was one of the skills because my parents made me do everything very hands on. So if I couldn't build it, I couldn't have it. So I had to figure it out. <laughs> So then I kind of been just playing games and then I ended up playing at a state level for basketball and then having scholarships and everything for basketball. And then I ended up actually breaking my knee and my elbow and then kind of wanted to find something else to kind of do. And at the time, I was pretty lucky that I was working actually at a net cafe or managing a net cafe, which funnily enough uh, is where I actually met Scott, uh, one of the events. So I used to run a lot of events for gaming and that was because it was the best way to kind of earn revenue for net cafes was actually running big gaming events. So I used to run a lot of those events for counter-strike at the time and then kind of just fell into the scene and just started i'm like wow this is interesting i can't believe this is actually a thing one of the top players in australia was actually two or two of the top players in australia the best team and best team in australia were actually at my school so i was like huh okay this is actually a thing let's let's give it a go and kind of just got into it and took me about a year or so and then made it to like top five in australia and then that was for shooting games and then moved over to call of duty and made it a top five for that in australia but could never really get to too much of the international scene with that 
So then I end up moving over to uh, MMOs. And then from there was where I kind of really kind of broke into it. So I started with uh, Global Agenda and World of Warcraft and made it to, I think it was top five in the world for that. Then moved over to Guild Wars, then moved over to Terra and basically had a really good team around me of about 20 to 20 people. And there's about five of us. There was a click from that that kind of competed pretty much globally in a lot of the tournaments. So some of the tournaments for 250k when the game launches and because of the way that MMOs were, they aren't the same as if you're playing a shooting game. They aren't a persistent the, it's only at launch for the first maybe six months this big tournaments and then it kind of breaks away from there so we had to do multiple different games and keep converting from there so it was, it was a very very different path but we had one of the top teams for that yeah i would i think that would be pretty difficult to have to change your game and your entire skill set every single time a competitive seed died down yeah, and, and then I ended up moving on. So in about 2000, so I did that from about 2004 till 2010. And then I ended up wanting a change of scene and moved over to then racing games. Within six months, I ended up competing at the, the world level for that and ended up getting uh, third in the world for Trackmania and uh, F1 with uh, the team Drift End. So we just, uh, I, for whatever reason, I had an aptitude for surrounding myself with really good teammates, which was always something that I had a really good good knack for doing and then leading them from there. But I, I was always in the top percentage, but it was always in the top 0.001%, but the fact of the matter is being the top 0.001% is you're not really that great in gaming. You're still in the top 10,000, which is not going to cut it. But then I was really good at surrounding myself and leading those people so that they could be the better better people and everything like that. So that's where my biggest draw card was. So your key to becoming a pro was surrounding yourself with good teammates. That and having the knowledge of the game. So I was very, very good. So in Counter-Strike and the reason I was playing at the top level for Counter-Strike and, and one of the games that we actually played, it was one of the world uh, Australian, Australian finals against Scott, actually Scott's team. And the reason that we actually beat them is because I counted every single one of their strats because I'd, I'd watch their team. I watched how they play. It was actually kind of funny and he was definitely very angry at me after that but it was because we knew what they were doing before they were doing it because i'd studied how they played how they did that and that was that that was what gave us that massive advantage and yeah it's it a pretty it was, big advantage one of the yeah. well, what, what happened with... was the actual story was we actually went, we wanted to practice a team before the actual finals so we played against Aaron's team, who was probably, right, let's say they were ranked 12th, and we were predicted to come first at this event. We played them, and when I say we smashed them, it's an absolute understatement. We absolutely just demolished them, like 16-1, 16-2 Counter-Strike scores. But I believe that what they were doing was they were letting us do all our stuff. Just we wanted to practice it. We didn't see these guys as a threat, and we wanted to unload all our strategies against them. And I think they just kind of sandbagged us. They just let, let us do our thing. And then what Aaron did was... He was actually recording. He was actually watching. He was actually studying. And we didn't know that the next day that we actually ended up um, drawing against them. And they ended up beating us. And the rounds that we actually really needed to win that game were the yeah, rounds that so they seemed to pull together and, and beat us on. The uh, biggest thing, the biggest like thing that people point. do is when they do strats is is there's very complex uh, grenades, there's very complex smokes and stuff like that that they throw within a game or flashes, and those are the things that lead up to being a strategy in a game. That that's what that would that's what defines whether they're going this way, left or right, or towards site A or B or what they're it's doing. Like triggers. Yeah, it's, all yeah, it's like triggers. And I, I was very good at defining all those triggers that they were doing. And I was like, so I just looked at all them and it was really funny. I, I noticed even when we played them actually in the actual competitive match, I saw I saw a flash go somewhere and I'm like, all right, they're going to do this, everyone. And we all ran back to spawn. We all bought a grenade and we literally just walked around the corner, threw a grenades all at the wall and four of their teammates fell over. And I'm like, wow, yeah. 
wow <laughs> wow and it was just from there it just kind of like steamrolled and the same thing happened with all of our games there i was just that that was just one of my knacks was i was really good at picking up what people were doing and calling that ah yeah okay so scouting and analyzing scouting analyzing strategizing and game leader right and that was the same reason why that's why when i went to mmos i could play at the top level across all of them because a lot of it then was basically mmos are a pure strat base pretty much it's how yeah. you how you take objectives how you do those sort of things and it's it, it is heavily based on you know mathematics in terms of figuring out your characters doing these sort of things but it, it's it, that that's where my forte was yeah it's a lot but more yeah. like chess than anything else yes but that's that's the thing about being a pro gamer right so like Aaron was talking about you know being part of the 0.01 percent is really not that big of a deal when it comes in terms of professional gaming because there's only 400 paid professionals in majority of these games probably less than some of them depending on how popular there are i think in cow strike there's probably 400 paid full-time professionals but in other games like maybe overwatch there's probably only 150 or a couple of hundred that you could classify as pure professionals i think the term professional gaming gets lost a lot because they think that if they're in a division that's high or division one that they're instantly professional in my eyes because i've lived that career i believe a professional gamer is somebody that plays on the world circuit somebody that's paid a full-time salary so they no longer need to have a secondary job yeah. to me that's a professional yeah. gamer and what Aaron is saying, the difference between something that's ranked in the top 10,000 or 1,000 in the world compared to the 400 is not quantity of practice or quantity of how long they've played for, it's quality. Yeah. It's because every, yeah. everybody's going to get to that level where they know how to play, they understand the game, they know how to aim, they know all the game plays, but it's the way of deciphering the tactics, the concepts of teamwork, the all that top stuff is what's going to break you to that top 400, top 200 is being I able mean, to clearly understand um, why those people do what they do and how to fa counter Fatality, it. Scotty. Like you take Fatality as an example. He is one of the best examples of where it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not going to be in a top team or a top paying job in terms of in the world where you are at right now. Like he's one of the best players aim-wise, everything like that, number one in the world in about 11 different games, but they're all single player games. Well, not single player, but they're all one versus one games. So like Quake is an example, uh, Painkiller, and they're all games that don't require a team. Right. But then he tries to play in a team environment, which is where the bigger money is, and he he couldn't do that. Yeah, it's a very that, different yeah. kind of playstyle. It's like in Overwatch, where there's solo queue, you just play online with a whole bunch of randoms, and then there's team play, and it's a totally different experience, because in team play, everything happens a lot faster, because there's a set game plan for each fight. Well, in solo queue, it's just more chaotic, and you can carry most fights. So it's a it's yeah. a very different skill set, and it's not just pure mechanic. And like forty four hundred, like the best of the best in solo queue can be complete garbage in a team environment. Exactly, and that's what that's the big difference between going professional and just being a good player of the game. I think. I think is it's it's got a lot to do with knowledge. It's got a lot to do with in terms of how you act as a teammate and how much of a dick you are. To be honest, yeah. just don't be a dick. Tilt is pretty bad. Well, I think this is a this is a good segue. I think for uh, asking the question of how hard is it to become a pro gamer now? When we talked offline, you used the word pipe dream, and I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that. I, I would want to go first because yeah, you go first, buddy. Being a pro gamer is a lot lot easier now than back in the days. In in, as, in aspect, right? Back in my day, there was only a couple professional games that were on a global level 
where you could possibly get paid or travel the world. Nowadays, I believe there's probably eight games on the top of my head I can think of. You know, you've got League of Legends, you got uh, Counter-Strike, you got Dota 2, you got Overwatch. you just got all these numerous games NBA, that you now have yeah. a chance. Even, the, even NBA got their own league right now through the it's actual NBA. Last long, but, you know. Yeah, probably not. Uh. Yeah, so I believe nowadays there's, there's probably more reason to be a professional gamer. You got um, you now have player coaches. You more now opportunity. Have yeah, more opportunity, I think. Maybe maybe it's a lot harder because everybody's trying to uh, attract that pipe dream because they know, they now know it's a reality. Back in my day, a lot of people probably didn't know about the competitive space. They probably didn't know that you could go overseas. Nowadays, it's on you know traditional media. It's yeah. on um, all sorts of stuff there, so... I think there's more opportunity, but to actually break through, I don't think you have to even be in the top 400. I think you have to actually be in the top 50 or the top 100 nowadays in those games to reach there. Yeah, I think it's. I think the opportunity there's a much larger opportunity because there's there's a lot more games and there's a lot more. It's a lot more structured because there are a lot more contracts out there because these game companies are now trying to contract you to the game, which makes yeah. sense. It's very tough but... competition. Yeah, but I think you need to think of it as there is a lot more people that know about it. There's a yeah. lot more people that are trying to vie for that position. Probably 10x, you know, versus the versus what there was back then when we were doing it. And it, it's more a matter of and then getting into that community. So when we were playing, and I remember this very very well, is the top teams would actually talk to you even if you're not a if you if you're not a great player. Because I remember sitting there and borrowing borrowing servers from the best teams in the world and talking to them and going through and learning strats and, and actually doing stuff with them to help either them out or help us out. And the community was much less divided or toxic as it is today. Whereas now, because everyone's trying to fight to get a leg up, there's a lot less help or camaraderie from different teams. People aren't seeing it as a let's work together to build it. And it, it, I understand why, because the contracts are there now. But back when we were doing it, it was definitely a lot easier to kind of get in contact with people that were in top teams or doing this. Now it's it's a lot more exclusive. It, it also which, is which makes a it harder. player base now, because now everybody wants to contact you. Everybody wants to get help. Everybody yeah, exactly. What you are doing back then, you know, if you had a couple hundred people that were your fans, that's that's all good. Now that you could be a top player of the world to have sixty thousand people on Twitter, a hundred thousand people on Facebook, yeah, whatever, try and contact man. you. So it's a lot larger scale now that. So I think it's like it's helped the community in terms of grow it from that aspect of money-wise in terms of sponsors, but it's also made it harder for those people to kind of connect. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. A lot of my experience is watching people who know the game play and dissecting it and then just teaching myself. It's like only recently when I got into the higher-level communities and got on a team have I gotten taught by other people who know the game. One thing that I do like about my team is that we have a specific scrim partner and they offered up an idea to have like each team's coaches go over all of the flaws on both teams. So we'd have like 10 coaches between the two teams just going over each player's flaws. And it's that kind of thing. It kind of reminded me of what you were talking about where everybody's out for each other to make it a better competitive experience. While right now, Especially in solo queue in the latter, it can be pretty divisive and people can get pretty toxic pretty fast. Yeah. The other thing that I'm thinking about now is also with making it a career, the only thing that I see as a problem is you need to have an exit strategy. If you don't have one, you're pretty much screwed right now until it gets to the level of where professional sports are. Yeah. Um, and the reason I say that is, is by exit strategy, I mean, so what we did is obviously we built a business out of it and we went into other industries where there was coaching and stuff like that. But you need to have 
something. And the reason I say that is even if you're getting paid 80 grand, 100 grand, 150 grand a year, whatever it is, you need to be, while you're doing that, you need to be building your skill sets. You need to be building your following. You need to be building, whether it's marketing, whether it's social media, whether it's design, whether it's whatever it is, editing, doesn't matter. Just make sure that you're building that because by the time you get to 25, 28, 30, you're going to look at basically retiring because you can't, you you can compete at the top level till you're older, but your reflexes aren't going to last and all those things aren't going to last forever. So yeah. And the reason, the reason sports athlete gets paid $5 million a year is so that they can live off that for the rest of their life. And that's the biggest thing that that you're not going to get in esports just yet. So you need to be also, well, you're, if you do get to the top level, make sure you either build yourself into a role where you can start doing commentating, where you can start doing broadcasting and start learning that or start learning how to do marketing start learning how to do stuff with the industry start looking learning how to manage a team you know mm-hmm. if you if you are in a good team find find the guy who's in charge and shadow him and say hey can i help you can i learn this and and, and offer that up because that'll that'll give you a massive leg up when when it all does go to that point one thing that i'm focusing on right now is my stream i'm trying to learn how to be entertaining basically and i'm making progress it's kind of hard to learn how to stream but like i've got a good amount of time since i'm 16 so i'm trying to work up that skill set and even after that i'm still going to be learning the game so even if i don't have the mechanics i'd still like to be a cook for the game because i love dissecting and teaching people how to be better at the game so that would be pretty nice so there, I do have some backup plans. And then, of course, there's YouTube as a, another one. Did you guys have an exit strategy when you got into this? Nope. I was, I, was, I was building other companies. So I've been building other companies for a while. So I've been doing that anyway on the side, as well as everyone was yelling at me to go to university several million times that I that I kept dropping out to build another company and play games. When I was working up by the rags, I actually had to have a, a job myself. So even getting paid like the prize money, let's say two hundred dollars a week, it just wasn't enough to live off. And we're talking about when I was in like you know twenty four, twenty five years old, I still had to continue working. Just working on what Aaron was talking about before. It's like when it comes to NFL or something, you go through high school, you can still do your NFL, which let's say NFL is equivalent of sports esports back then right you got your schooling where you could do your nfl you got your university or you got your college that you could do you know your nfl programs you know you, you train during the morning or the afternoon and you still do your whole degrees and all that type of stuff you got an education but with gaming nowadays is there's, there's nothing to align with studies and education with esports so you know you pretty much have to go to your high school and then probably skip college or university to then pursue gaming because your golden years are easy between you know the age of 17 to 23 24 so you don't really have time to do that full education or or that type of stuff um, or the opportunity they are doing the scholarships though at universities like there's 150 scholarships in the u.s right now i think or 150 plus but i don't know one, I don't know how hard it is to get because I haven't really looked into it as much as I should have. But in terms of that, I don't know exactly as Scott said. And I think that the biggest thing with if you do want to be a professional gamer, it does take a lot of time. And as exactly what he said, your golden years are between the you know 17 to 24 age. And that's the only issue that I see with aiming at as trying to pursue that is you do need a lot of bandwidth to still be studying other stuff and still learning other stuff. And that's the biggest thing you need to kind of understand. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to think about being done by the time you're 23 or 24. That is a time where most people who are inclined to do so, yeah, most people are, well, yeah, they're starting their career then, but they've gone to university to get prepared for starting their career when they're 
you know, 22, 20, you know, 23, something like that. And so it's an interesting challenge, I think, to, to figure out if, okay, if I want to do this, even if I want to do this, not as a pro gamer for the rest of my life, but I want to get involved in some kind of support role, whether it's coaching or team building, team ownership or, or whatever it is, that in, in trying to be a pro gamer during your golden years where you don't have time to go to the university and get a degree, then you're going to be delaying that until after your pro gaming career is over. Or maybe you won't be able to go at all because you have to parlay your success as a pro gamer into your next activity associated with esports. So you don't have this gap where you lose your luster. I don't know. I'm just I'm throwing it out there. It's it's hard to kind of do. So the biggest difference between us, okay, because I don't think me and Scott, either of us set out to be a pro gamer. That wasn't our objective when we kind of did it. We kind of I mean, just fell into it. It wasn't a real thing. Yeah, it yeah wasn't, and it that's the difference. Right. We grew into it. It started to happen. It started to be built around our era. Yeah, because we were starting, we started in about 2003, 2004, which is when everything kind of kind of really started to, started to take off. So ESL came around. There was ESWC, WCG, and a few other big tournament organizations at the time that had only really just started really to get off the ground. And that's when we first started. So it wasn't until about maybe three Three, four years after that which was we were lucky enough to get in at the start and keep playing that it really started turning into a thing that was a a feasible thing even when we were getting paid or i know when i was getting paid i didn't think of myself as a professional gamer until probably 2012 when people started using it as a thing before then it was like yeah i'm getting paid to play video games it wasn't anything to do with being a professional gamer it's just very different to kind of comment on how it is now and and we had definitely had a lot more options because our training wasn't as crazy rigorous on our contracts and those sort of things as what they are now we weren't locked into you're forced to play this game you're forced to do this you can't stream on this and then we had a lot more options i think that's the one thing i definitely liked but i do like that there, there is structure now for the current people that are coming up and playing which i really really like the team structures i like that they're on contracts because that was one of the worst things that we ever had was basically getting a new team member every month because everyone was just swapping teams constantly so it was just a pain yeah, consistency is pretty important on being the best. But yeah, I do think definitely 17 to 24 is your golden years. There are a ton of professional gamers that are sitting at 30. The problem is if you have a look at the past from, I'm looking at from what we've seen in the last 10 years and the people that are playing games right now that are 16 years old are just so heads and tails in terms of aim wise above the people that are 25, 26 years old. They're just so much quicker than what they were. The problem is they don't have the smarts yet. They're still going to take another two to three years to get those smarts, but they will yeah. get there. You say that though, Aaron, like the thing is about the 16 year olds compared to the 30 year olds. Those 30 year olds have been built into professional gaming. I highly doubt there's any 30 year olds or 28 year olds that just started playing. They, you know, they I agree. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. like, I mean, Yaman and JKS, right, from Renegade. Yaman's. They would have started from when they're 16, 18 years old, and they just would have stayed in yeah. the season for 10 years. I highly doubt you could be 26 years old right now, start playing a new video game. I agree. Yes. Professional level in two years' time. I just don't think that would happen. No, you it's have not to possible. Start 15 and then by the time you're 70 years old you may be a professional guest the only ones that i know that are in the top tier that i know personally so yaman from i think he's in renegades now and then uh jks so jks they're both ex-teammates of mine and they've been playing since they were 12 13 jks used to have to sit on phone books to play at competitions to have his mum sign the permission slips it was hilarious <laughs> and it was just how it worked he was like 12 years old he could build websites at the age of 12 he was doing digital editing he was it was an amazing in terms of what he was doing but that's how he 
broke into the scene was actually by doing graphic work and doing video work for some of the top teams. And then he ended up basically getting recruited and, and they had his ear because he was helping him do that. And then they had his ear to help him teach him. That's a pretty cool story. We were, we were talking the last time, right, about what's the best way to get into gaming at, at the young age. We were talking about the whole aspects of including your parents. We talked about the challenges that people face whenever they talk about choosing programming as a career and how people scoff whenever they hear that, like, okay, that's, you know, you can't be serious. What are you really going to do? Yeah, especially when it comes to family, friends, and, you know, your, your parents in that aspect. Yeah. And I think uh, Scott, like when we, we chat about this prior, but I think Scott could probably go into a bit more detail about how he he convinced his parents and what was the big kind of point there for him. Money. Well, I'd love to hear the story. I think the way that it obviously occurred is I'm pretty sure nearly every parent that has a son or a child that wants to be a professional gamer have gone through the same exact same struggles. I think what's happened is they try and limit you one hour a night or after homework or only on the weekend. You know, I'm pretty sure all gamers have heard that type of story heard from their parents. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. And then they probably wake <laughs> up at like six AM before they go to school, play for a couple of hours, parents are asleep. I wish. Wake up after ten PM to play a couple of games with their parents would are asleep. Stalk. <laughs> I, I had to I had to legitimately I had a black and white TV radio that I had to hack a wireless receiver into. I was like 12 years old because I got banned from it and, and my parents hated me using the computer and that, that I had to hack, hack a wireless receiver into to be able to run the computer and the console from our lounge room to my bedroom so that they wouldn't know I was playing because they, they just completely would not let me. I was banned from it, or this and that. I'd always get in trouble. Yeah, I would wake up at 6 a.m. before school to play. <laughs> I would wait till they go to sleep and I wait till like, you know, they've actually a couple of hours into sleep for me to wake yeah. up and play some I did it all. I even did the yeah, whole, same. I had the word pad up on my screen and every time they walk in, I'll tab. tab out the game and pretend I'm working. I, I, I did it all. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, we're talking about what broke it. I think what broke it for me was I used my time well when I was able to play to improve. Like I said, when I saw those names in that server, I wanted to beat them. I wanted to kick their ass. I just wanted to kill them once. It doesn't matter if they killed me 30 times. I believe if I killed them once, I remember, oh, that Scotty guy killed me. You're like, oh. I think what happened was once I started competing and when I started to play well, whenever my name would show up anywhere, like let's say an article or like there was a tournament or I had my team name there, anything, I'll show my parents. They're like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever they say. And, and then, you know, tournaments would come along and I'd be like, can you please take me this tournament um i'm going with my friend or my scapegoat then was my brother who was two years older than me so i was always able to go to these events and be like oh brett my brother's in the team he's coming uh, with me and then i, I think what happened i think what happened was when my dad would drop me off you see other parents you see how well organized the event was you know they have food stands they have a commentator or they have whatever and i think that he kind of got more relaxed knowing that it was so abnormal of me sitting on a screen couldn't talk to any i think that's what really changed was when i started to include my parents i think that's the biggest thing to do it's funny that you mentioned the getting up in the middle of the night because i just read a book that recommended to me by barry rapkin who introduced us yeah it's called confessions of a teenage gamer by a guy named <laughs> nicholas cole and he talks about from his freshman year all through high school he got up you know, after his parents went to sleep, got about maybe four hours of sleep a night all through high school because he was playing World of Warcraft. I can't imagine and... that. 
<laughs> I wouldn't oh, do that to myself. It's not worth it. Yeah, it's, I used to have to do uh, some of my parents. The only way I'd be able to play a game is I had to do an hour of typing. So I had to use Mavis Beacon. It's like a typing program. And that was the only way they could kind of do that. And because I never really did homework or anything like that anyway, because I just, I, w I was one of those ADD kids that would just do, so we'd get the all your homework from a textbook. So in the first week or the first few days, I'd just do the whole textbook and literally just do the whole textbook with the work and just finish it. And I'd be like, all right, I'm done for the whole whole semester. Nice. It was That's just, one way to do it. That, that was the only way I could get past it. So I didn't have to home, do home, homework and that. And I was like, all right, cool. Now I have time to do whatever the hell I need. I just procrastinate and do it like in homeroom last minute. I did well, the same thing. <laughs> little lunch, big lunch or lunch time, yeah, I do that. Um, I never, ever, for two years, because I was playing games, that, that has, I have to say that my education did take a hit because of my professional gaming or wanting to play games, but I would literally go to school and in the homeroom, I'd do as much as I could, ask my friend, hey, what did you get here? What did you do here? Copy off his work, you know, during, before the class, all sorts of things. Like if, if there was a way to cheat or if there was a way to do it in the last minute, I did it. And obviously my grades didn't reflect of anything good. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> did that. Great. I wasn't like you. I but um, pretty good. You asked my parents and kind of... Well, we used grades as reward. We rewarded his grades with access time to get on the computer and play games. So if... That's not how I... I look at it as a punishment if I get back. <laughs> Two different Two ways to look at it. Well, if he had... Say if he had over a 3.5, then he could play on the weekends without asking permission, as long as we didn't have another family event scheduled. But if he had over a 3.7, then he could play during the week with permissions. And if he had all A's, he could play anytime he wanted, as long as he had all A's. Even in the middle of the night. The problem was... When we first started this, he would get all A's, and then the next time report cards came around, his grades would have tanked because he just played all the time. And <laughs> you could say, I wasn't the responsible guy. No, so then we had to pay much more attention. They started putting grades online, and we had to just be very vigilant. Where we were checking the dashboard all the time to see how his grades are doing. I'm better now. I've improved. He has improved. He... Out of wanting to play more video games. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to lie. I almost feel sorry for him. Um, like <laughs> that he's, he, that, the reason why is because um, I can understand him feeling like he's missing out. Like, if he's not able to be on the computer for longer than three or four hours, like, I, if you were to tell me you could be a professional gamer and can only play one hour a day, I, I would never get there. I just That's wouldn't get impossible. there. Like, it's impossible, and I just feel sorry for him because I'm like, if he really wants to strive to be a professional gamer, he can only play two hours a month. Yeah, at the time, I just wanted to play Saxton Hale in Team Fortress 2. This was well before he ever decided he wanted yeah. to be a pro gamer. I only started wanting oh, to be a pro once This is just playing games? Saw, this is like, just playing games. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is before I knew it was a thing. So... I... <laughs> I think having a structure that makes sense that helps him build that build the repertoire of both basically hey do you know what your punishment is you have to watch footage rather than actually play the game and I think that is a it's kind of drawing the line between he's actually learning he's doing that and obviously doing homework but having a bit of a structure there is I think one of the better things you can do and what I think from what you said to me that what you have done is have a structure around that so that there's a there, there is a mix between the two and the biggest thing is is a lot of parents always say hey if you're gaming what about your social life and that and i'm like did you know that most gamers are a lot more social than pretty much any and all of 
you know, everyone else because we're online talking literally for four to five hours a night to our friends. Like, exactly. I have two children and a wife and she gets annoyed at me not because I'm playing games or not, but because I get to hang out with my friends and she doesn't. She, <laughs> nice. understands, she understands it. Like, she goes, oh, well, you get to talk to your friends and there'd be like six or seven of us and like, we're all in our 30s and most of my friends have kids and yeah, it's a completely different aspect. But yeah, it's, it's, it's I do it for a social thing. I hate games. I'll be honest with you. I hate playing. The, the game I was professional at, I don't play. Some of my friends do, and I do sometimes play it here and there. But to get rid of that competitiveness that I once had, it's really annoying that I, I, I'm not the greatest do. anymore. It's very I, hard to do. I have a very hard time playing a game now unless I am aiming to be the top and I don't have time to do that because I'm trying to build a company. So it's, it's a very hard thing to kind of balance. Are you talking about so, competitive games? Or just like any, any oh, even problem is, is nearly every game has a competitive aspect now. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what it is. And it's very hard to like, there's a lot of single player games and I definitely do play those. But if I want to play like a game of Dota, I can't because I, I, I know that I have a learning curve of 10,000 hours to get me into it. Yeah. Well, and you guys are just so competitive. You don't want to play at a low level. You want to yeah, play at a high point? level. It's not, it's no fun if you don't play it. It's okay. very frustrating when you know that you could be better, but you just can't. Exactly. That is exactly it. Well, let's switch gears just a little bit then. Talked about your company a couple of times and uh, the second segment, I'd love to go into what you guys are doing and we can go from there, but I have a few follow-up questions, but I'll wait until you can explain what XY Gaming is all about. Now, I'm sure that everyone is very eager to hear all about XY Gaming, but for that, you're going to have to wait till the next episode. You can catch Max live on twitch.tv slash Max Dementio. And this has been a Max Dementio production. Until next time, thank you for listening to My Kid Wants to Be a Pro Gamer, and as always, have fun.